0: Hello once again, everybody, and thank you for joining me in the Betters Box. It's bangthebook.com's MLB betting podcast for Monday, July 20th. I'm your host, Adam Burke. This and every edition of the Betters Box presented by our friends over at DSI Sportsbook. BTB and the number 200 is that promo code. 100% deposit match bonus for the Sportsbook. 100% deposit match bonus for the live casino at BetDSI. It's only a game until you bet it. Time to get very, very busy here over at bangthebook.com. The Major League Baseball season starts on Thursday. NBA coming up 10 days from today. NHL coming up 12 days from today. Still have golf, still have UFC, still have NASCAR. All of that going to be covered by yours truly throughout the week over at the website. Going to do some more MLB future stuff tomorrow and Wednesday. Got to do a golf preview here today for the 3M Open up in the Twin Cities. Uh, UFC and NASCAR, of course, still going on. NHL, we're going to do some series preview stuff for you. Lots of things going on over at bangthebook.com. If you haven't been there in a while, it's time to come back. If you've never been there and have just listened to the show, well, head on over there, check everything out that we have to offer. Still updating that KBO spreadsheet. No more article for the KBO. And in fact, I'm not even going to talk about the KBO here. On today's show, I was out of town for the weekend, so I'm playing a little bit of catch up here. On, uh, of course, look, I mean, Major League Baseball coming up, that is in the spotlight for everybody, including me. So I'll keep updating that KBO bullpen spreadsheet. But that's pretty much it for the KBO content here on the Better's Box. The daily MLB picks piece will return on Thursday. Not sure what I'm going to do for the format with that here for this year. Uh, last year, I did do some tracking in a spreadsheet. That didn't go particularly well this season is obviously going to be very unique in so many different ways so many different aspects you know you may be well versed to do some first five betting it may be a better idea for you to do that because a lot of these starters are only going to go four or five innings especially at the outset here and some teams may opt to use piggybacks and some of the other creative things that we've talked about here on the show so far so I'm going to talk about betting baseball. I'm going to talk about the lines. I'm going to talk about the different games and matchups and all those types of things. But the God's honest truth is that, look, I mean, we're talking about small sample sizes. We're talking about a high variance environment. We're talking about every game mattering a lot more. And something that Zach Meisel wrote about over at The Athletic Cleveland today, and I just read this article before I started recording, that, you know, with 60 games instead of 162 Each game effectively counts as 2.7 games. So, you know, these teams are going to have to be ready from the jump. The ones that are ready are going to get a big advantage. The ones that are not are going to fall behind the curve a little bit. So, you know, we'll see what happens as games begin on Thursday. Uh, Again, you've got the three-batter rule this year. You've got, you know, questions as to whether or not the ball is going to be juiced. Uh, You've got the expanded rosters you know, a lot of things to try and figure out here with Major League Baseball, along with monitoring the Daily Wire to see if there are, you know, injuries, coronavirus positives, all sorts of different stuff. Uh, It's going to be a crazy 60-game sprint here for Major League Baseball. So we'll do the best we can with the picks piece and kind of breaking all that stuff down, but that'll be back here for you on Thursday, along with a new edition of the betters box. Finally, over at bangthebook.com, Check out our sportsbook reviews. It is very, very important right now to take the time to get organized. Things are going to start happening very, very quickly here. As we know, again, the NBA starting just one week after Major League Baseball, the NHL a couple days after that. Now is the time to be prepared, set up, posted up at the different sportsbooks that are out there. Obviously, we've got that very good BTB200 promo code over at DSI. Well, we've got sportsbook reviews for MyBookie and Bovada and BetOnline, BetAnySports, VietBet, Five Dimes, GTBets, all sorts of sportsbook reviews over at BangTheBook.com for you to check out with those exclusive promo codes and first deposit offers. So, again, if you're in a state that doesn't have legalized betting, or you know maybe you just prefer going the offshore route. Make sure you head over to bangthebook.com. Check out what we have to say about those sports books. Also, too, you know, a lot of the offshore sports books taking Bitcoin, taking cryptocurrency deposits. The state book's not able to do that right now. So that's another thing that could be a little bit of a positive for you, a little bit of a positive factor as we get into this busy time here of the summer and hopefully carry this on through the rest of the 2020 calendar year and, of course, on into 2021 as well. Got a couple of questions here for the Monday mailbag. Again, skatingtripods at gmail.com for those. At skatingtripods on Twitter. uh, Adam at bangthebook.com. Kind of a little bit finicky right now with that email address. So skatingtripods at gmail.com. Probably the best way to get in touch with me. Again, got a couple of questions here. I'll give you a few general thoughts on futures. Five and fly for the NL West. Like I said, no KBO here today. Quite frankly, just don't really have the time with all the other stuff that I want to get to here on today's show. First question here comes from Ben via email. I remember you mentioning on a previous episode that MLB favorites of minus 180 or higher were extremely profitable. I checked it out for myself, and over the last three years, favorites of at least minus 180 are are 1,306 wins, 481 losses, a 6.4% ROI. When the line increases, they are even more profitable with an ROI of 8.3% at minus 200 or greater and an ROI of 9.3% at minus 230 or greater. Three-part question here from Ben after going through that information says, why do you think large favorites have been so profitable to bet these past few years? So I'll start with that, then get to the two follow-up questions here. And I ran this query over in the killersports.com database right before doing the show. So here are the numbers from the last five years favorites of minus 180 and up using the five dimes closing numbers. And again, this comes from the killersports.com database. 2015, they were 211 and 84, 71.5%, average line minus 208.7%. bettors up 38.40 in that span, 6.2% ROI over 295 games. In 2016, 321 and 141, 69.5%, average line minus 216.1. $100 bettors up 2,243, just a 2.2% ROI over the 462 games. However, that is the outlier here. Over the last five years of data. 2017, again, this is minus 180 and higher favorites using five dimes closing lines over at the killersports.com database. 2017, 337 and 126, 72.8%. Average line minus 219.9. $100 bettors up 6800 bucks 6.7% ROI, 463 games. Here's where it gets really interesting. 2018 and 2019, 471 and 173 in 2018, 73.1% win rate, average line minus 224.8, $100 betters up $9,440, 6.5% ROI. That's over a 644 game sample size, 2019, 498. And 182, 73.2 percent average line minus 235. Hundred dollar betters up nine thousand five hundred ninety dollars. Six percent ROI, 680 games in that sample size. So, 680 games last year had a minus 180 or higher favorite, according to the five dimes closing numbers. And again, the last two years. $100 bettors up about $9500 betting these big favorites. So the first question from Ben was, why do you think large favorites have been so profitable? Well, when you look at the current composition of Major League Baseball and for this season it will be different. You've got about 10 teams that you could pencil in as either being division winners or very likely to win the wild card. You've got another 10 teams in that second tier, that if everything goes perfectly for them, they could be a playoff contender. Then you've got this bottom tier of eight to ten teams to where they're just not really trying at all. They're saving money, they're rebuilding, they're focused on the farm system, something like that. So we've had a massive discrepancy really over the last three years where we've had a lot of haves and a lot of have-nots. And what we've seen is that the teams that are halves have done very, very well. You've had a lot of repeat division champions. You've had a lot of repeat playoff teams, stuff like that. So in this environment, the big favorites have done really, really well because there's been a very clear separation between the good teams and the bad teams, between the good teams and those hope to contend types of teams. Also, too, when you look at what happens out there in the betting markets with large favorites, a lot of times those are high strikeout starting pitchers. And in this current offensive environment, strikeouts are higher than ever before. And year in and year out, we've seen a higher strikeout percentage than the previous year. So this high strikeout environment helps the high strikeout pitchers. And generally speaking, high strikeout pitchers wind up being in these really big favorite roles. So it's kind of just been a perfect storm where a lot of things have kind of fallen into this equation. And again, as we see here, remember, 2015, we had 295 games with a favorite of minus 180 or higher. Just five years later in 2019, 680 games. So a lot more games with teams in these big favorite roles. And as I just mentioned, they have been very, very profitable. Another reason why is that last year, teams won 84% of the time with a lead after five innings. So it was 82.7% in 2018, 82.8% in 2017. Generally speaking, the teams in the big favorite roles are going to have leads early in the game because they're in that big favorite role by virtue of having a really good starting pitcher. When you've got a lead after five innings, you're winning 84% of the time. That's a much higher line, much higher implied probability than minus 180. So what we're seeing is that a lot of these big favorites are getting ahead and are staying ahead and are winning those games because a lot of teams that have you know, front line starting pitching have also spent wisely on the bullpen. Or if they haven't, they're still in a position to protect leads. So this is just a perfect storm of a, a high strikeout environment teams that get the lead stay in the lead and play from in front and also you've had a lot of really good teams a lot of really bad teams a lot of teams in the middle that aren't as good as those really good teams and they wind up losing in those big underdog roles so again over the last five years here it has been exceedingly profitable to bet on these big favorites and in particular especially over the last three years here second question from ben Do you think blindly betting these large favorites is an actionable strategy for this season and for future seasons? Actionable for this season? I don't know. Again, you're talking about 60 games now where, as I just mentioned with that really interesting point from Zach Meisel, that each game counts for effectively 2.7 games in a regular 162 game season. So you've got these really good teams that can't dick around now. You know, over 162 games, you know you're going to be one of the best teams. You may take some days off. You may do some different things with your rotation, your lineup, your bullpen, stuff like that. But here in this format, you've got to go balls out from day one. You cannot allow yourself to get lackadaisical. You cannot allow yourself to go through the motions because if you do that, no matter how much of a favorite you are. No matter how talented of a team you are, you're going to find yourself getting passed by somebody in this 60 game format over 162 games. Every team that's supposed to be at the top is generally going to make it there over 60 games. We don't know that to be the case. Again, the obvious example, the Washington Nationals 19 and 31 last year through 50 games a couple of years ago, the Dodgers were like a 500 team through their first 60 or 65 games or something like that before they flip the switch and took off. You got to flip the switch really early here now. So in that sense, you've got to win your games with the aces. You have to win when your best pitchers are out there. And a lot of times, you know, we've seen teams just sort of go through the motions, bring those top guys along a little bit slower, stuff like that. This year, You don't have that luxury. And if those guys and those teams aren't ready to go, these big favorite roles could struggle. Now, again, on the other hand, they know what they're playing for. They're in this smaller sprint format, they've got to be ready to go right away. Maybe that heightened sense of urgency does carry them through. So ultimately, I'm not sure for this season. For future seasons, I would say at least for next year, absolutely. Because one of the problems that the bad teams run into this season is that they don't get that minor league development time. So, what you're going to have next year is you're going to have guys that either aren't ready for the major leagues thrown into the major leagues, or they're going to have to deal with another year of seasoning in the minors. So, that could hurt the bad teams that are generally in these large underdog roles in these big favorite games. So, I think next year this trend absolutely applies. Going forward, I'm not entirely sure because again, you know, we're going to have the bottom starting to rise a little bit with their prospect pools and stuff like that. And some of these good teams are going to face some very tough financial decisions. So I don't know how long-term this trend is going to be. I think there will be more parity in Major League Baseball as we go forward. But as far as this season immediately, I don't know. I really truly don't know. That's a lead up to the third question here from Ben, who says, How do you see this short 60 game season changing this trend, if at all? Really, there's no way of knowing. But when you think about what people like to do early on in the Major League Baseball season, in March and April, they like to play big underdogs. The thought process behind it is that at the outset of a season, Everybody's kind of on even footing because they've all gone through the same preparation periods and all those types of things. The aces aren't quite as sharp, they're not working as deep into games, stuff like that. So, a lot of people do like to play underdogs in March and April. And when you think about the time period of March and April, the season starting, you know, that last week of March, you've got some extra weather days built in for April, stuff like that. You're talking about, you know, 28 to 30 games. Over March and April that's half of the season this year so if you've got a situation where a lot of these teams are said to be on equal footing early on in the process because at, the, at this time everybody feels like they still have a chance you know even the Orioles and the Tigers and the Marlins and the Giants teams like that they're not mailing anything in and March and April you know everybody you've a lot of people that listen to this show I'm sure you've played sports You always kind of have that optimistic glass half full mindset of, you know what, let's prove all the doubters wrong. Let's go out there and surprise everybody. Then when the rubber hits the road in June, July, and August, you realize you're not going anywhere and complacency kind of sets in and stuff like that. In this 60 game format, where the separation between the best team and the worst team is probably going to be 14 wins as opposed to, you know, 40 or 45, like it is in a regular season it brings a lot of teams into the equation. So for this year, I think it could change this trend. I think it is a possibility. You know, again, on the other side, you've got teams that understand that right from day one, they've got to hit the ground running. And if they have the best personnel and they've got that philosophy and that mindset, well, they may just go on the warpath and go 40 and 20 or something like that. So I don't know. Again, there are so many uncertainties with this upcoming major league baseball season very touch and go but you know you lose a game with your ace on the mound you know how many of the 12 starts for Shane Bieber can the Indians afford to lose how many of the 12 starts for Aaron Nola can the Phillies afford to lose you know if you're a team like the Dodgers you can afford to lose some Clayton Kershaw starts here and there but if you're a not so good team you know how many starts can you afford to lose from your aces so that'll be a big question here. You know, those those games that you, you know, blow a lead or those games that you give up with your ace on the mound, how much of an impact does that have the next day? Is there a hangover effect knowing that, you know, you blew a game where your margin for error is dramatically smaller than it would be in a regular season. So a lot of questions obviously with this 60-game format. I wouldn't expect favorites to do as well as they've done the past three years with almost a six and a half percent ROI but you know you never really know here because this is just such a unique environment but Ben appreciate the questions and thanks for bringing up a reason to talk about that minus 180 favorite role again for this year I don't know how actionable it is but for the future I think there is something to be said about you know kind of taking an extended look at that Second question here from Christian via email he says, "Thanks so much for your take on Phil Steele's work. I talked about that last week. Uh, he mentions it can be overused here. I liked my contrarian take. I mean, it is true. You know, I think the presentation of Phil Steele's information of the magazine is excellent. It's a very easy to read format. I do still pull a lot of valuable things from it. Namely, I look at it." for my positional power ratings in terms of looking at the depth that these teams actually have. So that is kind of what I use it for uh, sort of putting together my power ratings, where I use the position groups to come up with a scale from about you know 45 to a hundred or something like that. I think it's valuable for that. But again, some of the projectable stuff where he's talking about, you know, position groups, maybe being better or being worse. He still has to keep the lines of communication open with these coaches, with these athletic departments, with these SIDs, so he can't be as forthright, as critical as another anal- or as another analyst maybe could be. He needs that information for his guide. He needs the rosters and you know all these types of things, the recruiting, stuff like that. He needs that info from these coaches. so he can't quite be as impartial as maybe some of the other sources out there can like a Bill Connolly, something like that, where Connolly just looks at the data, doesn't really have to have access to the coaches or the players, anything like that. But what that question stemmed from, a question from a good friend of the site, Rich Lammons, was, you know, do I think that people will overuse the Steel Magazine, have an over-reliance on it because he's got those conference rankings of the position groups and stuff like that with what looks like an all-conference play college football season coming up? And I do think that that certainly is a possibility. And I would encourage you to go back and listen to the first part of last Monday's show to hear more of my thoughts on that. But the question from Christian here Do the professional line makers that sell their numbers to the books make their lines on what they truly believe is an even mark between power ratings, or is the line made to satisfy the perception of betters and is not really based on power rankings at all? So I would think. That for the most part, if you're a line originator out there, you're going off of your power ratings. And if you're supplying lines to a few different places, it's in their best interest for you to go off of your power ratings. Because the goal here, as we all know, is to put up an initial line that lets you know where you are and where you should be. And Brent from DSI Sportsbook has talked about this before in the sense that, you know, you put up a line, you hope that you kind of get some two-way action on it, but if nothing else, you find out where you stand. You find out where you need to move that number based on the early action you get or the early respected action that you get. And if you don't get a whole lot of action, the implication would be that your line is pretty good, that that number is going to work for you at least until limits increase later in the week and you've got to take a little bit of a closer look. So I think that lines in their infancy the initial lines that get posted are typically closer to a valuation of each team as the week goes along that line becomes an evaluation of the market so at first it's a valuation of the two teams here's where they stand here's how you know with home field advantage factored in here's where this number should be as you get more betting information from your clientele It becomes an evaluation of the market. As that info comes in, each individual book has to balance its risk. The initial line, at least in my estimation, and I would assume this is the way that they operate out there in the market, should be largely unbiased. Because the risk profile will look different at each book. Every sports book has a different clientele. Every sports book, especially you talk about legalized sports books in the United States now, They have different locations. You know, a line in Iowa for a Hawkeyes game or for an Iowa State Cyclones game is going to look a lot different or could look a lot different than a line in New Jersey because you don't have that hometown bias. You don't have anything feeding into that game other than the betting that you're seeing in-house or that you're seeing out there in the marketplace. So, I would expect if I was paying for a service like that to come up with lines for me, that they would be unbiased numbers. They would be indicators of those two teams with home field advantage factored into the equation. Then it's up to me as a risk manager to determine where I need to put that line, where it needs to move, all that type of thing. And typically speaking, you know, these initial lines that come out, they're collaborative efforts. You talk about Circa, who opened up the college football market last year, the first you know, North American book to do that in a long period of time. It's typically been the offshores, places like Chris and Bet Online and stuff like that. But Circa wanted to be first to market for college football. And basically what they did was a collaborative effort. They would take you know, their odds makers in-house, they would go over their power ratings, they would go over the numbers that they had for each game, and meet somewhere in the middle with them you know one guy might have three on a game one guy might have six on a game so they'd open it four and a half or maybe they'd open it four if they kind of you know maybe had a little bit of an inkling on where the money might come in the side they might need stuff like that so it was a collaborative effort of comparing notes of comparing power ratings offshore you know it's probably a sim it's probably a similar process But again, then each book has to sort of tailor that number to what they think they're going to need based on their clientele. And you got to remember here too, there is very little in the way of line origination out there in the marketplace right now. Most books just copy. And a lot of books will even wait until some of those initial bets come in and they'll copy the adjusted numbers so they don't get exposed. If one side moves from three to three and a half or three to four, something like that, they'll just go ahead and post four or maybe even four and a half and just avoid taking on that initial risk, avoid taking on that initial exposure. So I would hope that the lines going up in their infancy are largely just power ratings based and then it's up to the risk managers to earn their money and move that number around based on the early information and the early action that they're getting. Now, one thing I will say, and this isn't necessarily related, related to Christian's question, but I am curious to see how, this, how and if this process changes. Because a lot of times, at least in non-NFL markets, sharp money drives the market. The NFL, there's enough public action to have some level of influence. But in college football, it's all about the sharp influence that's out there. Unless there's no sharp influence on a game, then you have to react a little bit that public money but as we've got legalization sweeping across the united states and more and more public bettors out there that are not going to be long-term winners do we see not just the the origination process but do we see the risk management process kind of change a little bit because we already have an exceedingly low number of long-term respected sharp bettors that win that the books are actually concerned about the vast 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 majority of bettors out there are public bettors you know 20 50 hundred dollar wagerers guys that you know may tread water maybe 52 53 percent over the long term a lot of them are probably going to be 51 percent and under so they're going to lose to the vig will we see as we've got more states more mature markets in the u.s Will we see more public influence on how lines are moved around? That could be a possibility. This is an always changing, always adapting industry to where risk managers, bookmakers, everybody who has a hand in the process, you know, may have to make some different decisions than what they used to in the past. But, you know, again, to Christian's question here, you know, I would think that that collaborative effort of setting a number... Is based just off of power ratings because again, you're not worried about what happens across the industry. You're not worried about what happens at a book that's not yours. That's not your job. If you're making a line, your job is to make the line. The risk managers have to determine where that number goes. So really, you know, they post the line, the market sets the line. And you know, that's a discussion for another day here as I'm running a little bit long on time with the Monday mailbag. But again, you know, this is a a very intricate process, to say the least. And there are a lot of interesting things we could talk about. And I will have some odds makers on uh, throughout the course of the season here once I get back to the daily shows. So I'll try to talk about that a little bit more, get an idea from behind the curtain, you know, about what everything in this business actually entails. All right, so I got a few general thoughts here, then we'll do the five and fly for the NL West. And again. I apologize. It's going to be a long show. I ran a little bit long with the Monday mailbag questions uh, and the intro. But you know what? Like I said, a lot of things to talk about here at this point in time. So I've talked a lot about shying away from the futures market right now. About, you know, there were so many reasons not to bet into anything because we didn't know who would opt out. We didn't know who would have positive tests. We didn't know who would get hurt in summer camp. The season starts on Thursday positive cases are down now in the bubble some of the guys that are still out are guys that had positive cases early on that aren't quite back yet stuff like that but they tested a lot of people and they said what five or six players are positive and one staff member so cases are down quite a bit now in the bubble everybody's being as responsible as they possibly can be and we've got a pretty good idea of how the injury situations stand right now so if you want to bet futures if you want to bet win totals world series player futures stuff like that over the next couple of days is probably the time that you want to look to do that so i've got some general thoughts here for you if you want to play into some of these futures markets the first thought is this when you look at season win totals i think you want to have more unders than overs now again you want to take this on a case-by-case basis but best case scenarios are going to be hard to find you're going to have there are going to be some positive tests over the course of the season we don't know who they're going to be but there will be some and there will also be some crippling injuries again i keep using this oblique example because there are some guys like a ryan braun he's dealing with some soreness a couple of other guys like christian walker's got some groin soreness these soft tissue injuries, they're going to be particularly hurtful in this 60 game sample size, whether guys play through them or not. And I'll be looking for a lot of injury indicators for pitchers with spin rates and velocity declines and stuff like that. Guys are going to try to play through everything that they possibly can. Some guys at 80% or 85% will be fine, other guys will not. And again, If you run into a situation where a team starts, you know, 15 and 25, something like that, guys with injuries will shut it down. So I think you've got a lot of cases this year, pardon the pun, where bad things are going to happen. And I think if you're looking at an over, you're hoping not only that that team plays well, but that everything goes well. And that's, you're almost handicapping an over twice. Because you need that team to play well and exceed expectations, but you also need everything to stay you know, hunky-dory for that team. And that may not always be the case. So I think if you're looking in the win total market here, I think unders are probably more of a starting point for you than overs. Second point to make here, don't be afraid to take some long shots. Some long shots on individual pro, uh, player props some long shots on World Series, and pennant futures. In this 60-game sample size, it will be subject to a lot of high variance. For example, should the Yankees win the AL East? Yeah, they probably should. But why would you bet Garrett Cole plus 280 for the Cy Young when you could get James Paxton at 35-1? to You know, what what are the chances that Paxton outshines Cole over a 12-start stretch? not that that's not that much of a long shot so if the Yankees win the AL East and do really well Garrett Cole probably plays a role but maybe James Paxton plays a larger role and again he's 35 to 1 his rotation mate is under 3 to 1 Lance Lynn of the Rangers 35 to 1 you know if a team like the Rangers goes and wins the AL West Lance Lynn's probably going to play a big role in that so you know, if you get a division upset, and we'll probably get at least one or two of them, <clears throat> excuse me, Lance Lynn at 35-1, to one, maybe that's not a bad grab. And again, keep in mind here, too, smaller sample sizes create more opportunity for long shots. And you think about pitchers, for example, right? You think about, let's say, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, Walker Bueller last year, right? Walker Bueller wound up being really, really good, as he is year in and year out. But he had a couple bad starts in the first half. Six earned runs, stuff like that. One bad start can throw your ERA for a loop. And yeah, you would hope that the voters pay attention to these things and don't hold one or two bad starts against a guy who's dominant for eight or ten starts. But you're still talking about voters making decisions based on what they've always voted on. And a lot of times it's things like ERA. So... That's a factor here too in that one or two bad starts can really skew the metrics and probably bring some guys into the equation or take some guys out of the equation. So don't be afraid to look for some long shots out there. You know, something like a Yohan Moncada at 60 to one to win the MVP. If the White Sox beat the twins and Indians for the division in something of an upset, wouldn't people view a big year from Yohan Moncada? as a big reason why or joey gallo 60 to one or 66 to one to win the mvp again if a team like the rangers made a push he's got to be front and center right he'd have to stay healthy right so don't be afraid to take some long shots out there with some of these props and some of these futures markets finally consider park factors for props and futures and things of that sort remember two-thirds of the schedule comes against the division does that help a team does that hurt a team you think about the al west and the nl west extensive travel for the teams out west teams in the east they don't even change time zones until you know the playoffs potentially so that's something you want to keep an eye on is that travel could be a concern you know will teams be playing in more hitters parks more pitchers parks stuff like that. Take a look at the schedule analysis because I think that's very important as well. It will be hard to win the MVP if you're playing, you know, 25 of your 30 road games in bad hitters' parks, stuff like that. On the flip side, it could be easier to win the Cy Young if you're getting, you know, additional starts in really good pitchers' parks. You know, think about it. I mean, a guy like Herman Marquez, for example, which I'll talk about here in a second, the five and fly... He's terrible at home. He's very good on the road. How do his 12 starts fall? Does he make eight on the road and four at home or something like that? All of a sudden, Herman Marquez, his stock goes up. And there are a lot of guys that have these home road split scenarios. And teams with 60 games, I would hope, are planning far in advance of when they want their pitchers to start, how they want to try to set the rotations up, stuff like that. All of these things could have a big impact, particularly on those player futures markets. So that's something you definitely want to keep an eye on for this upcoming season. All right, so with that, we dig into the five and fly segment here for the National League West. Get five minutes or so on the five teams here in the National League West. And again, I apologize running long here with today's show, but obviously plenty of things to talk about. So excited I'm losing my voice here on today's show. But in any event, we start with the Arizona Diamondbacks season win total thirty and a half. The win total number coming from Bet Online World Series and Pennant futures also from Bet Online. Divisions from Five Dimes, fifty to one for the World Series, twenty five to one for the NL Pennant, plus seven fifty five here for the National League West. I've talked about this already, but the Mike Leak opt out is addition by subtraction. For the Diamondbacks, Merrill Kelly, who was almost exactly league average last year, he'll slot into the rotation, a very good rotation, with Madison Bumgarner, Robbie Ray, Zach Gallen, Luke Weaver. I really love this Diamondbacks rotation. Mike Leak was set to be the highest paid player on the team. They probably would have felt like they had to use him. Now they don't have to worry about it. So now they've got their five best starting pitchers. In this rotation, I think that's a positive for the Diamondbacks here as we go forward. The bullpen is a little bit iffy. You have Archie Bradley at the back end in that closer role. They added Junior Guerra from Milwaukee, also added Hector Rondon uh, previously with Houston and also the Cubs. I think that could be a couple of good additions there as bridges to Bradley in that closer role. And Bradley, good second half last year kind of an inconsistent type of guy, but does have some level of a ceiling. The starting pitching depth for the Diamondbacks could be used in a relief capacity. Guys like John Duplantier, Alex Young, Taylor Clark, but they'll probably try to keep those guys stretched out if they need some rotation reinforcements. So I don't love the bullpen. And like I said, I do think this is a year where the bullpens are extremely critical, but I do like the rotation a lot. And this is going to be a point of contention, I think. You know, one of the things, again, to refer back to that Meisel article at The Athletic I read today about the Indians, the Indians feel like their rotation can give them a leg up with Carlos Carrasco, Zach Polisak, Aaron Savale, Mike Clevenger, Shane Bieber, one of the best rotations in all of baseball. If they feel it could give them a leg up, what do you think the Diamondbacks feel about their rotation? which also looks to be very, very strong. A lot of people very high on Robbie Ray here for the upcoming season. He's made some mechanical adjustments. He's thrown a few more strikes in camp. People kind of like that. Loves Zach Gallen. I thought Zach Gallen was a long shot future to win the Cy Young. He was like 200, 300 to one for the full season. I still like him in this shortened format. So the Diamondbacks have a very good starting rotation. The bullpen eh, looks a little iffy. The the uh, offense looks league average here could Marte he's going to regress had a 405 wobo last year 150 wrc plus big babip. um not a guy i would expect to post those kinds of numbers also could be hurt badly by the imbalanced schedule now chase field is a oak is an okay hitters park with the humidor now not as good as it used to be but this is a diamondbacks team that's going to have to play in san diego in san francisco in Chavez Ravine. Uh, I don't know where the the road games are exactly, but the AL West parks, not known as hitters parks. So that could hurt a guy like Cattell Marte. That could hurt a guy like Starling Marte, who now comes over from the Pirates. He's a good all-around player, good offensive numbers, good defensive player. Could impact the David Peralta bounce back. David Peralta had a down year last year offensively for the Diamondbacks. That's another one. You know, how do, how do things fall for him where he hits righties very well, doesn't hit lefties all that well? What are his, you know, plate appearance allocations looking like for righties and lefties? You know, what do his splits look like? What do his sample sizes look like? That could really impact a guy like him. Could also impact the player futures market, like I talked about earlier. Maybe find guys that hit both sides pretty well. Or take a long shot platoon guy. Something like that. But in any event, looking at the Diamondbacks here, great rotation, decent average or decent uh, lineup, excuse me, but they are also one of the absolute best defensive teams in Major League Baseball, and in this small sample size format, where again we don't know what's going to come into focus, but if you're a great defensive team, that could really help. And the Diamondbacks now are going to play a lot of games in these big spacious expansive ballparks to where their defense probably plays up you know road games in eight era oracle park petco park dodger stadium the al west parks that helps arizona defensively as well so i think arizona actually i talked about liking more unders than overs i think this is an over team at 30 and a half i think this is a team that can rely on its pitching can win close games in low scoring environments and can win with defense so i do like arizona here again maybe some long shot opportunity with a really good rotation if that bullpen stabilizes pretty quickly the colorado rockies season win total 27 and a half with some under juice on them 150 to 1 for the world series 80 to 1 for the anl pennant 31 to 1 for the division You can make a case for a team like this in this environment because they are a very flawed team, but their top-end talent, Arenado, Story, Marquez, Gray, all pretty good. This is a depth-shy team. And over 162 games, a lack of depth really shows up. In 60 games, maybe it doesn't. This is a bad pitching team. This is a team with that huge home park factor. They've got a talented offense. They've got some health concerns. But, you know, Ian Desmond opted out, and Desmond's a decent player, but it opens up more opportunities for Sam Hilliard now, who was very good in a small sample size last year. Brendan Rodgers, who was going to be slowed by shoulder surgery at the start of the season, now should be okay coming back later in the year. And this is a Colorado team that needs help offensively. Last year Trevor Story and Nolan Arenado combined for 11.7 F4. The team as a whole combined for 10.5 F4 among the position players. So Story and Arenado make for a very top heavy lineup here with the Rockies. Now of course there were some guys that put up some decent numbers but the park factor adjustments at Coors Field dragged them down a little bit. So This is a better offensive team than the advanced metrics would suggest just because they account for course field so heavily to the degree that they do. Now, the pitching staff is not great. In fact, I would go so far as to say the pitching staff could be awful. Now, you've got Herman Marquez. Again, I just talked about this. How do his starts fall? 501 ERA at home, 342 WOBA against at home in 255 innings. 372 era 299 woba against on the road so the home road splits are very significant here for marquez where do his starts come last year his slugging percentage was 63 points lower on the road compared to at home he had a 356 woba against at home in 73 and a third innings and a 273 woba against on the road in 100.2 innings A 273 Woba against is like top 15 level. That's what he did on the road. But at home, he was brutal. So where do his starts fall? Where do John Gray's starts fall? John Gray, a guy who, you know, is solid, but has command concerns, is inconsistent. Kyle Freeland, what do we get from him after he fell apart last year? The Rockies bullpen, at least in my estimation, looks to be the worst one in the division. So that's a problem. That's a big problem. But you're top heavy. You're offensively minded. Your park factor at home could be magnified in this 60-game sample size in those 30 home games where pitchers are still trying to figure stuff out. But ultimately, I don't like the Rockies much. I think they're probably going to finish fourth in this division. Again, Story and Arenado can carry you, and maybe they do. Maybe Marquez's starts fall on the road. But all in all, this is a very, very flawed team. I don't think the ceiling is high. I think the floor is pretty low for them. The Rockies are not a team I like in this format and weren't the team that I really liked for the full season either. Gonna save some time here with the five and fly. Make up a little bit of time for how long the show's running here. The Los Angeles Dodgers season win total 37 and a half four to one to win the world series plus 175 for the pennant minus 470 to win the national league west look i mean what needs to be said about the dodgers depth for days they get mookie bets best lineup in the national league maybe the best lineup in baseball they've got the dh now that helps because they're a very flexible very versatile type of team adding another hitter to the lineup works very well for them This is just a team that doesn't have flaws on paper. I mean, they just don't. You know, no David Price, doesn't really matter. They've got Walker Buehler, Clayton Kershaw, Julio Urias, Ross Stripling. Bunch of guys that they could bring up if they wanted to that would be in the rotation for other teams. They just don't have flaws. But 60 games, anything can happen in a 60-game sample size. Should the Dodgers win the division? Yes. Should they win the National League? Yes. Should they be in the World Series? Yes. On paper, all of those things are true. And you do wonder here, you know do the Dodgers finally get that World Series they've spent all this money trying to get in a year that's going to have an asterisk put on it by a lot of people? It just seems fitting that it would work out that way. But... What is the ceiling for the Dodgers? I mean, right now, they have to go 38 and 22 to go over this win total. Do you want to bet on a team to go 40 and 20 in this format where God knows what's going to happen? Do you want to bet 4 to 1 to win the World Series? Hell no. Minus 470 to win the division? Absolutely not. So the Dodgers should be great. They should be great in 60 games. They should be great in 100 games. They should be great over 162 games but what is the betting value from a future standpoint there isn't any there is no value on the dodgers right now they are priced at the absolute top of the market in an environment where a lot of things could go wrong so yeah they're the best team on paper in the national league and it may not even be close but there's just no equity in any sort of futures look for the los angeles dodgers now the san diego padres their win total 30 and a half 30 to 1 for the world series 20 to 1 for the pennant 8 to 1 for the division this is probably going to be a lackluster offense however this is a dominant pitching staff and i just mentioned looking for park factor opportunities on some of these teams the way things look for the padres here. It looks like a lot of their games are going to be played in a lower scoring environment. And that plays to their strengths. Their pitching staff is elite. Their lineup is not. But they could improve offensively. Fernando Tatis Jr. was very good in his sample size last year. Missed a lot of time. Hopefully you get a full 60 games from him. Tommy Pham, he's a big upgrade over Hunter Renfro. He fills a lot more categories offensively than Renfro does Jerkson and has got some pop those are the three key new additions Trent Grisham as well we'll see what he does in his first full MLB season they need more from Manny Machado that would go a long way that would really help and Machado's one of those guys I sort of feel like not to take anything away from him because he's a great player but he feels like one of those guys that kind of knows over 162 games I'm gonna get where I'm going maybe starts a little bit slow this year, he's got to get where he's going right away. Maybe that helps him. Maybe that motivates and engages him a little bit more. So I think this Padres team, you know, this offense could be a little bit better than expected. But my God, I love this pitching staff. You've got Chris Paddock, Dinelson Lamont, Garrett Richards, Zach Davies, Joey Lucchese. They are built for this format. You don't want your starting pitchers to go through the third time all that often this year if at all for some of these teams you want to pull the plug because again every mistake is magnified in this 60 game format so you get these guys to go five and fly and you turn it over to an elite bullpen with Kirby Yates and Drew Pomerantz who I think could be dominant as a reliever I love Matt Strom Emilio Pagan he's excellent and then you look at depth right What if they need some of these guys? Cal Quantrill. What about Adrian Morjon, Mackenzie Gore. Luis Patino. You know, are these guys that they keep stretched out as starters? Do they use them as short burst relievers if they need them? This pitching staff is loaded with arms. Loaded with arms. And here's the thing, too. A lot of people kind of came out critically about the Franchi Cordero deal with the Kansas City Royals, to get Tim Hill. But Tim Hill is dominant against left-handed batters. The Padres have isolated the fact that this is going to be about bullpens. This is going to be about pitching. They are going all in with their pitching strengths. They will be aggressively managed by Jace Tingler, who is very well-versed in sabermetrics, also speaks a couple different languages. He will get through to the Latin American players, will convey the organizational message. The Padres are kind of my home run play here as a team that I think in this format could be really, really deadly and really, really dangerous. Again, with 60 games, every game almost worth three games. You have to win the games. You are in a position to win. The Padres should have that opportunity to win a lot of games that they are in the position to win. This is, to me, the biggest threat to the Dodgers in the National League West. And I like the Diamondbacks a lot. The Diamondbacks have a high floor. The Padres have a high ceiling. That's the difference to me. So I think this Padres team could be really, really exciting to watch in this 60-game format. Finally, the San Francisco Giants, 24-and-a-half, their season win total, uh, with some under-juice on that. 200-1 200 to 1 for the World Series, 150 to 1 for the pennant, 46 to 1 to win this division, one of the lowest season win totals out there in the market. And the fact that Buster Posey has opted out is the big story here, but only an 85 WRC plus last year, 107 in 2018. He's not the offensive player that people think he is anymore, but his defensive value kept him from being a replacement level type of player. That will hurt. The loss of his defensive contributions will hurt. And this pitching staff, not very good anyway. And of course, you know, posing, you wonder with a DH, how many games would he have caught anyway? I think that's a, a pretty fair question. But this offense is well below average, low slugging percentage, low on base percentage. And again, I mean, this is a team that, you know, maybe playing in a lot of bad hitters' parks will benefit them. But this is just not a good team. And you look at the pitching staff here specifically, Johnny Cueto coming back from Tommy John. What do we get from him? Jeff Samarja, one of the league's biggest regression candidates coming out of last year. 352 ERA, 459 FIP, 502 XFIP, 240 BAMIP against. He's a regression candidate. Kevin Gaussman comes over from the Braves. looking to recoup some value. I like him a little bit. Drew Smiley, what do you get there? I don't know. I like Tyler Anderson, who goes from Colorado to San Francisco, which for a pitcher is a massive upgrade, but he's been hurt. He's had back issues and knee issues and stuff like that. So I like the potential idea of him, but what does that look like in practice? I don't know. And this bullpen decimated by trades last year. They lose Will Smith, Ray Black, Mark Melanson, Sam Dyson, and one of the holdovers, Reyes Moranta, he has major shoulder surgery. Tyler Beatty he's a starter. Tommy John. There's nothing to like about the Giants here. But again, season win total 24 and a half with under juice. Do you want to bet on a team to go 24 and 36 or lower? Could it happen? Yeah, probably. But this is why I'm shying away from playing low win total unders, high win total overs, because again, you're hoping for best case scenarios. You're hoping the Giants are really really bad you're hoping the Dodgers are really really good you know and that's just difficult to ask in this format it just is you know you're talking about the Dodgers playing 633 baseball can they do it over a full season yeah can they do it for 60 games yeah but that's no margin for error at all so again the really high win totals are tough to play overs the really low win totals are tough to play unders Yeah, those teams should reach their expectations, but maybe it would have taken them 162 games to do it as opposed to just 60. So there's the five and five for the National League West. We've covered all six divisions here over the last six editions of the betters box. If you've missed anything, obviously that information is still relevant. So you can go back and check out those shows. They're not all as long as this one wound up being, but you can go back and check out those shows if you want to. Coming up on Tuesday, we'll chat NASCAR and golf with Brian Blessing, the host of Sportsbook Radio and Vegas Hockey Hotline. Thursday, the Better's Box, opening day, MLB picks and tips article. Lots of content coming your way this week at bangthebook.com for the futures markets, MLB, NBA, NHL, all that type of stuff. And then we'll talk some UFC golf and NASCAR over at the website as well. That'll do it for me. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. And remember that you will never strike out when you're in. The betters box.